Hello, everybody, and welcome to the eighth episode of Franchise Film Freaks. I'm your host, Jack Auger, and with me, as always, is... Jacob Schoenstrom. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Had a nice Thanksgiving, and, uh, you know, nice super spreader event. I caught the COVID. I gave it to everyone I know, and with any luck, you know, you'll get it, too. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite Thanksgiving side? Um, I think it's got to be mashed potatoes. That's a banger. Yeah, big a- fan. Any any kind of potato is the best. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm yeah. a definitely a, a, a fan of the the humble potato. I personally prefer corn casserole as a okay as a Thanksgiving side, but that's not like a traditional one that like everybody has. I think it's more of like a Southern thing. We but did not have that at my Thanksgiving. I uh, we didn't have it at my at the Thanksgiving dinner that I attended with my girlfriend, but we made it two days ago and okay. <laughs> I was like I didn't have it so I need it now to eat with my leftovers <laughs> so I see okay so that's how that went down um I also spent the Thanksgiving weekend watching the Die Hard movies yeah no me too <laughs> um I uh, I had never seen any of them before yeah me neither um and I think that largely I came away with I I think this was a pretty positive experience. Yeah, I'm mostly is, pretty impressed. Like unlike most of our, I feel like o- almost every franchise we've done has had multiple just unwatchable movies, with the exception of a couple of them. I mean, like Back to the Future. I don't think any of those are unwatchable. Um, I think is that the only one that we've done. Uh, Alien, I think. But Alien, Alien 3, Three is is very bad. Yeah, but it's only one. I don't know. I guess it's, it's a fair question. Uh, yes, I think that th- this one, on the whole, movies back to front generally were were pretty good. And uh, and it seems like they know to call it quits. Although I, I looked up there, there is an intention of making a Die Hard six. Yeah, but I don't know if that's yes. ever going to actually happen. It didn't seem like there was like a lot of. I mean, it probably will happen. I but. think it will, and the you know the last one did pretty well financially, and and the that's sort of the life cycle of of the franchises that you milk it until it doesn't work anymore, and so basically you keep making movies until one of them doesn't make money. The last one made money, so every indication is that they will continue <laughs> to go. But uh, I do like that they are spacing it out. Like it's the first, true. the first yeah. three all came out within seven years of each other, and then it was twelve years until the next one, and then six years after that. And yeah. now, like, there's probably not any plans until I think the earliest thing I saw was 2022, yeah. which it would be nine years from the last one. So sure. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's at least letting you breathe yes. a little bit. Um, but uh, so let's so let's just dive into. Die Hard. Well, we'll we'll do kind of what we did with the last episode, and we'll go through each plot pretty quickly, and then okay. we'll, and we'll talk about it. So, the first movie, Die Hard, comes out in 1988, uh, directed by John McTiernan. I think that's how you pronounce it, but I could be wrong. Um, it's got a 28 million dollar budget, and it grosses 140.7 million. So it does pretty good. Yeah, for, could, for 1988, yeah. I don't think movies grossed quite as much as they did, um, as they do these days. And I think I, I think that is a, you know, pretty good return on investment. That's that's the main thing. It's like it, I mean, it made, a, it made its money back in a lot more. Yeah. So, Jacob, why don't you go ahead and explain this movie? Sure. So, Die Hard, and every subsequent Die Hard movie, stars Bruce Willis as John McClane, who is this sort of 
cop who doesn't play by the rules, this kind of bad boy who does, you know, he, he does things his own way. And in the original Die Hard movie, he is an NYPD officer, but he goes to L.A. because his wife works in L.A. And they have sort of a dispute about whether or not he's going to come to L.A. with her. And she is in L.A. at her company Christmas party. He goes to visit her. And while he is there, um, uh, Hans Gruber and his band of German terrorists, uh, Hans Gruber played by Alan Rickman, um, takes over this building that they're in, the Nakatomi Tower building. And he plans to blow it up and escape with a bunch of money that is in a vault in the building. And so it is up to bad boy John McClane to stop the plot, save his wife, and uh, get out of their life. Pretty much. That's, uh, and, and I thought it was phenomenal. But we'll get, we'll get into that. Um, Die Hard 2 comes out two years later. Um, it's directed by Rennie Har- uh, Harlan, I'm pretty sure. That's okay. how you pronounce it. It's got a $70 million budget, so it... Big, up, big, big jump, big, sure. Big jump. But then it also makes... Two hundred and forty point two million more. So it, I mean, they basically, I mean, a little bit more than double the budget, and then it makes a hundred million more. So I think that again, pretty sound return on investment. And this one has like an ex U.S. Special Forces colonel who basically is uses a team his team of hackers, I suppose, hackers and terrorists that like shut down the Dulles, Washington, D.C. airport so that they can basically intercept the... Uh, uh, the South American. General, right? But, yes. Yeah, but so the the idea is that they'll basically... He's, he's being brought to the United States to stand trial for drug trafficking charges, and their intention is to uh, rescue him and free him and, you know... John McClane finds out that there's people doing shady stuff within the airport and slowly uncovers the goal. Um, and uh, and again, he is kind of a lone man trying to trying to save trying to save this while the you know the airport security is getting in the way. The airport policemen, I should say, and then the U.S. Special Forces come in. Too bad they're right. also it's the little, bad guys. Little twist. There. Yeah, little little twist is that they are on the side of the ex U.S. Special Forces guy. So then John McClane has to take down all of them, and and he does, of course, as he right. always does. Right, right. Um, so then we get uh, Die Hard Three, Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's called. Yes. Uh, so this one, we're we're in New York. And in uh, in New York, basically, a bomb goes off, and John McClane gets a phone call from um, Simon Gruber, who is uh, Hans Gruber's brother, played by Jeremy Irons. And um, basically, he sort of calls. He's got bombs all over the city. He leaves these clues and riddles to solve, and he's messing with you. And some, some of the bombs are real, and some of them are fake. And basically, he's you know the plants a bomb at a school and you don't know if it's real or fake and and you have to solve his riddles or else he uh you know will set off the bomb and kill people and and it's kind of this race against time and and trying to sort of uh 
um, you know, figure out which bombs are real, which ones aren't, solve the riddles, and, you know, save the people, save New York, catch the bad guy. And, um, you know, standard diehard fashion, of course, he does it. This one introduces Samuel L. Jackson as Zeus, who is, um, you know, sort of a sidekick. He These later movies start to get into, like, a buddy cop sort of thing. Um, he has sidekicks, I think, in most of the ones from... All, all of them, really. I yeah. mean, we'll get into it yes. later, but but yeah. So so that's a theme that in, that gets introduced here. Um, but yeah, like like the others, of course, he kicks the bad guy's ass and uh, saves the day. And this also brought the return of original director John McTiernan. Um, came out in 95 and had a $90 million budget. Again, increased the budget. Also, again, it makes over a hundred million more so with three hundred and sixty-six point two million, and you know, rem- is was the most successful to date. Um, and yeah, and and then it was it was it was called Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is they they went a different direction instead of just Die Hard Three. They just went a whole whole new name. You know, I kind of like that. To I be honest too. with you, I th- I'm I was never a huge fan. So like like Star Wars, you have the number and then the title. Like you have Empire Strikes Back. So and I feel like you call it that. Not even like Episode Five. You would say right. Empire Strikes Back. And I always sort of enjoyed that. I always I, I it just feels corny to me to go like number four, number five, particularly when it gets that late in the game. Oh yeah. So I I enjoyed that that they're at least trying to come up with some an interesting title. I agree. And then so instead of Die Hard Four, I mean I guess in a way it still is Die Hard Four and they, it has that, but it it's, has the uh, subtitle you know, Live Free or Die yeah, Hard. Yeah. Um and that one is basically like a computer hacker, um played by Timothy Oliphant. Well, he's not really. He's got a whole team of hackers and they um basically cyber attack the US government with the intention of disabling the entire nation's infrastructure practically. Um and Bruce Willis with the aid of Justin Long slash Matt Farrell, um, who's a hacker, uh try to basically work with the FBI to catch up to these guys to stop them eventually. Again, their intention was to... Well, I don't really know actually what the... Was it, was it to steal money? I mean, it yeah, seems so to be like the main... There was this... It's And we, we'll get into it. It's, it's a pretty weak plot point, but the idea is that when you shut down the nation's financial system, there's this backup that occurs. And he designed this backup and so what happens is all the backup is is put in this one place and so he can access essentially all of the nation's finances in any way that he pleases right and so he uh th- that's you know and like i said it's it's a kind of weak and it and it's introduced it's kind of thrown in at the very end it's not um really present for the entire movie it's it's sort of an afterthought it felt like to me and yeah. we'll delve into that further right and that came out 2007 was so like you said that was a gap of what 15 years well 12 years 12, 12 years. years um so i i like that the this lets it breathe um but also when you try to force characters to be the same naturally for 30 years uh things change right <laughs> and, and uh, but so that they gave it a hundred and ten million dollar budget, and then this one remains the highest grossing film at three hundred and eighty eight point one million. Um, so it was, it was a, I mean that was the 
the mid aughts i feel like was the big reboot beginning right like you had like planet of the apes got rebooted star wars you know got a new thing and indiana jones they came back for that so it uh people were just nostalgic as hell i think you're right and they remain nostalgic as hell 20 years later yes um and then finally in 2013 uh we get die hard 5 a good day to die hard uh directed by john moore decrease the budget 92 million dollar budget and then it still grosses 304.6 million so that's a lot yeah jacob what's it about so in this one you get um this one introduces uh john mcclain's son john mcclain jr and basically john mcclain jr gets arrested in russia um john mcclain bruce willis goes to help and you find out that actually john mcclain jr is a cia spy and he is trying to protect this Russian asset who has this damning information about the Russian defense minister who, um, you know, is doing some messed up stuff with weapons-grade uranium at Chernobyl. And then there's like a series of four different twists (laughs) and the guy who they were trying to protect ends up killing the guy, the defense minister, and he ends up trying to take the uranium for himself and do who knows what with it presumably evil things and uh you know <laughs> then it's up to the mclean family to step in and uh shoot him in the head which they do of course right and it's just a series of double crosses and then uh it ends with uh them being very bloody but ultimately saving the day of course um <laughs> which which them being really bloody well Bruce Willis Bruce Willis being very bloody in every single movie that's a big that's a big trend yeah yeah that it definitely is i think it's interesting that we we've talked about it before in in 80s sort of action movies and thriller movies blood is a lot more common but like if you watch a movie these days it's real common to see someone get shot in the head and like no blood and so I think, and, and the blood gets toned down a little bit. It's very bloody in the early goings, and then in the later movies it gets toned down. But I thought that was interesting to watch. He, but you're right, he's like drenched in blood, particularly I think it's number three. He's like, whole body is oh, yeah. just completely red. Yeah, and, and it, but in, to your point of it, of even just modern action movies being less bloody, in 2013 when A Good Day to Die Hard had that scene where they like jump off of a building and fall like, like seemingly 40 stories just through everything and then they just <laughs> they hit the ground and they just get up and they're like oh shit yeah like that would kill yeah. anybody and that's something Let, or at the very least break most of the of bones course. in your body and, <laughs> and that that that's something that that um that happens in modern action movies a lot these kind of crazy scenes that could never occur the fast and the furious is a, is a franchise that's particularly guilty of this and one of the things that I love about Die Hard, the first movie, is that it doesn't do that. He yeah. is absolutely a normal guy. One of my absolute favorite points in the movie is that the uh, is that um, is that John McClane doesn't wear shoes, and he has to walk over broken glass and hurts his feet. In a modern action movie, that would never happen. Like yeah. you said, he falls over forty foot buildings. He launches a car off of a thing to shoot a helicopter out of the sky. And in this one, he's walking over broken glass and hurting his feet, and he can, you know, barely hold on. He, 
to uh, to surfaces, and he's just he's a normal guy. He's a normal cop. He's not Jason Bourne. He's not a superhuman. He's just a normal guy, and it really makes you wonder as you watch it: Is this actually going to work out? Can he actually do this? And yeah, and that's what like so the character of John McClane. I think the movies go with the character. He starts out as like this like wisecracking, uh, you know. It's almost anti-establishment like character. Oh, for sure. Like he's he definitely, is. which which is interesting because he's a cop. But like, I mean, the, the way we view that now is very different than 1988. Um, well, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, I mean. But like, he's he's like going against the grain in the first two Die Hards, really, and then that's where when Die Hard Three starts, he they completely take that out of the equation and he's like i mean like this broken kind of like alcoholic guy and then they he just is pro you know working with the feds and the police for the next two movies and it's just like well that was that was his whole character that was like right. what made him a cool character a good action thing is that he's not working with like he like he's trying to help the cops, but they're not listening. So he has to take matters into his own hands, and that's what made I think the first two movies so strong, particularly the first one. There is you're, you're absolutely right. There is some um, the way that they sort of get the criticism is like you get I think the notion that like the cops on the ground, you're like ground troops, your regular guys are like good, like Reginald Bell Johnson who plays. A police, he's just a guy. He's just a police officer who happens to respond to the Nakatomi Tower 911 call. That guy is portrayed, he's like competent, he knows what's going on. Um, and the police chief is this idiot. And you know who's an even bigger idiot than the police chief is the FBI. And this, there is a scene in this movie that I, I cannot believe that this made it in with the way that the FBI and the army are portrayed. Um, these days in movies, there is a scene where the people in the FBI get in a helicopter and they go to try and rescue slash kill terrorists at the top, uh, rescue the hostages slash kill terrorists. And, but the terrorists have, of course, planned for this and they crash their plane or their helicopter and the FBI agents die and it's played as a joke. The police chief goes, well, I guess we're going to need some new FBI agents. And it's like, <laughs> and, and like, I thought that was funny, but it's like, I, I, I was shocked watching that because it's like, how do you make that joke and, and have people not get mad? You know, and like you said, he eventually goes on to, of course, work with the feds and the CIA. But at the time, I thought I, I, re, I remember thinking like, wow, this this like overt criticism of the FBI and not of not as like as as like um, they're corrupt or they're doing too much or they're overreaching, but that they're just bozos. They're just stupid idiots who get in the way and you need to get them out so that the real guys can go in and do their dang jobs. Yeah, and that's like and and so that really I feel like is only present in that one because in the second one like the way that the superior you know for like the special forces they're just the bad guys. You find out like instead of instead of being like dumb and in the way like in the Die Hard they're just the bad guys, which yeah. is which is less interesting. I think it's like I think it was an interesting twist that I didn't really see at the time, and then but it's just like it's just so like oh, okay. What what there is a this like in this one there's a criticism of a guy who's sort of a mid level 
police bureaucrat. He's in charge of the the Dulles Airport Police. Oh yeah, and they call like I said, they call he's him. Like, a, he's the he's the air, like airport police captain, captain or whatever. Yeah, and he's the jerk off in this one. He's the guy who gets in the way. He's the guy who you know is too self important. He won't. That's like a big one. He he boxes McLean out. McLean is trying to help. He has the intel. He knows what's going on. But this guy says no way. You're you're gonna step on my toes. You're gonna make me look bad. And so he boxes McLean out. And it's like you're a stupid bureaucrat. You're getting in the way. Of of you know my good police work right, and I think I think that like there is a theme here. I, I every Die Hard movie except the last one, which I almost don't even look at as a Die Hard movie. <laughs> I think it it isn't like yeah, it, in right. in terms of how the Die Hard structure works. Um, that's that doesn't fit into yeah. it at all. I think because there's no terrorist group. Like it's yeah, like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think that every Die Hard movie is sort of this white working class male rage. There are different groups of people who are the object of contempt throughout excuse me, throughout these movies, and I think that like that's what you see. Like each movie is defined by who is Bruce Willis mad at. And the first one, he's mad at um it's like this sort of European cosmopolitan intellectual who like talks down to the white working class. He's mad at journalists. That's a, a theme in a lot of these. He, they really do not like the media in yeah. this one. Um, he's mad at journalists. I, he's mad at uh, big corporate bigwig types because that's the guy who sells him out right. to uh, to Hans Gruber. Um, and he's mad Which, at the FBI. That scene was crazy. Yeah, like that was like I. So I feel like like action movies, they're not my, they're not like my thing. Like I just, I can appreciate watching explosions and stuff, but like, I I, I prefer them in like a Marvel type way where like I'm connected to the characters more from like nostalgia and stuff. I definitely but, think that action movies tend to be a little light on narrative and writing, which is I think something I really value in movies. Exactly. So 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 when it gets to, like. Wait, so, so the thing that made Die Hard so interesting was that it it really didn't it didn't feel like an action movie. It felt like this like really intense like thriller yeah. kind of thing. And that scene where the the cokehead guy yeah. just like completely sells him out, I was so frustrated. Furious. I was like, Furious. "You goddamn idiot!" Because so I I don't remember who plays that guy, but that performance is great i i i have and you probably have also encountered a guy just like that this big shot corporate guy who thinks he is the greatest and who just is so far up his own ass and again he's like well i'm just gonna go in i'm gonna solve this i'm gonna fix everything and of course he just gets shot in the head (laughs) and almost almost costs john mcclain the whole mission yeah but and and that's like that's the thing that like like you said, it's 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 writing heavy. It is an emphasis on writing. It's a great story, great characters. That's uh, a, one of the other things that defines all these movies is um, the villains. And Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman, of course, gives a legendary performance as Hans Gruber. And his this villain is like unbelievable, and he's super charismatic, super interesting. Like you almost want to root for him, and I think that like. The reason that you get that is because he's written so well. Right. He has great lines. He has great dialogue. He has 
you know, a lot really going for him that you, you set up. So it's not just like, like in Die Hard 4, Timothy Oliphant, his entire character is just like, execute the code, yeah. get on the phone. And it's like so uninteresting or, to me. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so having Hans Gruber as this guy, and he's a human being. There's a scene where, um, where John McClane's wife says, hey, we have a pregnant woman. Can you help us out? And he's like, sure. Yeah. He, he's like, I don't want to kill you. Yeah. I'm a normal guy. You know, and so I think that, like, you make an effort to write this character, and it pays off, and you have a good movie, even though it's an action movie. Exactly. And and uh, and uh, and I think one of the really interesting things they did with his character, or with the story, not his character, is, you know, like, John McClane never saw him, right? They're just talking on the walkie-talkies, and In he's fact, seen all his henchmen. there's a scene where he, and, yeah, he yep. finds him, and he doesn't know. Exactly. And I thought that that was, that was the scene where I felt myself kind of rooting for him, because I was like, oh, no, like... Like you can't die yet. Like yeah. it's like it's too early for you, buddy. And and he gets away. I mean, like he it's it's really it's really an interesting it's really an interesting movie. Which in a, in a way that I've never I've never thought of an action movie like that. There is another great scene that I I love with Hans Gruber where so that they in, t- in order to get in this vault, it's a seven layer lock, and the last layer is electromagnetic, but it's powered by this emergency power. And so the you can't get through because even if you shut the power off, it'll come on. But if you shut the power for the whole city off, then the lock will break down. So what you have to do is get them to shut the power off. And then you there's he tries to get the FBI there, and, and he's, he mentions on multiple occasions the FBI is going to come and we're going to trick them and, and, you know, make fools of them, but you don't know what's going to happen. And then it finally all comes to fruition, and the FBI gives the authority to shut the power off. And now you see his whole master plan all come together and culminates in this in this awesome moment where you know you really see like this guy's like an evil genius yeah like and 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 i thought that was really really cool no yeah he's uh alan rickman i mean he's just he's fucking phenomenal awesome and so good so yeah i've and it it blows my mind that i've never seen this movie um until now and i'm very glad that i have because it's like it definitely for me, if like I was ever gonna make some kind of action movie, I'm like, this is the blueprint for how to write like a villain. Like he's like, in in the, I mean they, like you said, they humanize him, and and he's just like, a genius guy. Like it 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 works so well. One of my favorite parts about this movie, though, um, aside from the the story and the writing, is it has some of the coolest deaths. Or like, sure. or like dealing with deaths. Like when he sent the body up on the elevator. Yeah. Like with the sign, it's like now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! Like that shit was fucking amazing. Yeah, that was wild. I def I was watching it in bed and I sat up when that happened. I was like, okay, all right. I did not because they don't show it, right? Yeah. He like he it kind of hovers over the corpse and he's like thinking about what to do with it and then he like does this weird jerry rig thing with the elevator and where he sends it down without being in it and it's like why is he doing this? What's happening? And then there's the big reveal of the body and it's like, wow. Like you said, that that one was brutal and really cool. Yeah, and I I wrote this down in my notes, but I forget who says it. Do you remember in in the first Die Hard? That's a, that's the other thing that like I feel bad about. I take notes 
and then I'll like write something down, but I won't write the full thing down because I'll be like, right. I'll Just remember the, it. Yeah, yeah. But you watch five <laughs> movies in one in like two to three days, and then it's like you it all uh, blends together. Right, right, but sure. I, I wrote this down. He won't be joining us for the rest of his life. Uh, what was that? I think that I think that's that sounds like. Man, I see either Hans Gruber could have said that or like or John like McClane could have said that or anyone could have said yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I've re- I, I, I remember that line, but yeah. I don't I don't remember who says it specifically or about what. And in in also like one of the one of the things that I think is really funny that he does uh, that Bruce Willis John McClane does in the specifically just in the ones that are uh directed by John McTiernan, um he calls in the first in the first one he calls a guy a jerkweed, and I was like, okay, like what a what a good what a good name name yeah. call. But then in uh, but then in Die Hard three, he ends up calling some guy a fuckhead. Yeah, and I was just like, John McClane, bring in the heat. Bring yeah, in the he, heat with he, the nicknames. He has all kinds of names like that. He talks a lot of trash, you know. And that's one of the things about John McClane is that he's funny. I think that like there's this sort of superhero thing that we see that where where you give the superhero these sort of one-liners and it's a little played out i think but i think this this franchise does it pretty well with the exception of the last one um and i think his lines are 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 really pretty good pretty well written and pretty funny so i do think that um that trend works well for him particularly because He's sort of this working class guy, and I think that it's believable that a working class police officer from New York would would really speak like that. On the subject of like just like goofy one liners, one of the more underrated ones I think uh, is Holly has one where she's like Gennaro, Miss Gennaro, and I was like James Bond, here we go, baby, because. <laughs> Because I feel like before James Bond, I mean that was the that was the big action movie, right? Like that was yeah. that's what I think that was like the industry standard was a movie set up like a James Bond movie, and so I appreciated the homage to that. Yeah, of course. So um, I think one thing, that, like I said, I had I had wanted to talk about the villains because as much as the villain sort of makes this uh, Die Hard one, I think that in a lot of ways the no other villain ever lives up to Hans Gruber. And I think that you see a steady decline in these villains. Um, Die Hard 2 has sort of two villains, and it's one main villain who's helping a bigger villain, and it doesn't really work. Die Hard 3, they basically say, well, look, you, you love Hans Gruber, we're just going to bring him back. We're going to have Simon Gruber, and it's going to be Hans Gruber 2.0. And it makes sense that it's the same director, too. Yes. Too. Yeah. And I think then Timothy... We talked about Timothy Oliphant's villain is is a little lacking, and then the last movie has this Russian guy who... It has three different Russian guys that are all double-crossing yeah, each other. Just who even cares? Yeah. So I think that that that's one thing that they they like I said, absolutely nail, and then they just can't really find their bearings again in terms of trying to get another villain, and it really does limit um, the movies because I, I really think that an action movie is only as good as its villain, and, and if you can't get a good villain... And, and it's unfortunate that Hans Gruber dies because if you can kind of bring him back and create this chess match and this ongoing thing, you know, but of course he dies, and so you can't do that. Um, an interesting thing about his death... Um, 
I'm not entirely sure exactly how he filmed it. Have you did you see see anything about the filming of this? No. So I guess Alan Rickman was like genuinely terrified of whatever he had to like let he go looks, and jump. Yeah. yeah. And so like that fear is not I mean it's acting technically but yeah. it's like it's genuine fear he was like actually afraid that he wasn't gonna like yeah I mean he was gonna fuck up this fall his uh so that what we're referring to is the slow-mo death scene where Alan Rickman falls off the top of the building it's a super iconic shot it's really really great yeah. of him like you said genuine terror as he just plummets to his death right really and, awesome and uh yeah so I don't know I don't know exactly how far he had to fall for the filming of it but you know i mean obviously he's falling on Scared, like, yeah. a trampoline or in some kind of you know whatever those things are that you when people Mattress. yeah yeah like so he's, he's falling onto something but uh he was he was scared about it he was not he was not looking forward to it but yeah i agree it would be great if you could have that but also also that's what makes die hard so good yeah. like that's just it's it's one of those things, man, that it's just like if some of these franchises just decided not to be franchises and just right. have like one killer movie. You nail it and then move on. I wish people had the backbone to yeah. do that. Yeah. But then we wouldn't have a podcast. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so well, there's another thing I wanted to, to discuss. I, I touched on the villains and how you get some weak villains, but every villain in a Die Hard movie, again, I think excluding the last one, is it is it terrorist and you don't get I, and and they call them terrorists and i don't i don't think that they really are to me a terrorist has an explicitly political motive like a terrorist is someone who says i'm mad at the u.s government so i'm going to blow up like a who's the oklahoma city bomber i know who you're talking about I don't the know oklahoma city bomber right i'm mad at the u.s government i'm going to blow up this building there's no money involved there's no ulterior motive this is pure rage and i'm going right. to commit an act of violence for this purpose and in every single one in fact they pretend to be political and then it turns out actually all i really care about is getting paid and i and i hate that because no, beca I agree. Be just because like these movies really do and in most a lot of action movies really don't comment a lot on anything thematically in like a really strong way and so all of these movies kind of hint towards this like anti-establishment or like you know kind of thing and then they go never mind the reason and, it works in Die Hard 1 because that's how you get the FBI involved exactly but in every other one it's just sort of like hey remember when we did this remember when you thought it was politics but really all they care about is getting money yeah yeah and, 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 and also lame. Die Hard 1 was always upfront about it being about money that's to, true we, to, we, like, we knew from the beginning yeah it's just the hostages and the law enforcement that didn't know exactly so so I think that 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 helps um Die Hard 3 or no Die Hard 4 though I really loved the premise of that, and I think that did, with the exception of it going, psych, it's just about money, yeah. but, like, it spent the most time working towards this anti-government thing. And I think... And, I, and that, I think, largely worked. I think that there's a... So, this one's all about, like, what, what happens if, if the software all turns off at the same time? What happens if somebody... Because this is like a real thing, right? We it's are, a real fear. Cybersecurity, our infrastructure is all online. Like, like, what do you do if this doesn't work? You know, what? How? How will our society function if we don't have the internet? Or if you know, one guy does this, and and I think that that's like you said, that's that's a legitimate fear, and I think that that's a legitimate anxiety that like maybe a John McClane might have. He doesn't, because that's like 
I think almost a weakness throughout the movie is that he absolutely doesn't understand what's happening. He has no clue how to deal with computers. He knows how to shoot people in the head, but like he has to have Justin along with him. The you know, he he takes Samuel L. Jackson along with him in the other movies, but it's really kind of just for moral support. Yeah. He doesn't need Samuel L. Jackson, but he needs Justin Long in this movie because he does not know how to work a computer. And and I and I think honestly that's so I'm not I would I would say I don't really like Live Free or Die Hard. Um I think Justin Wong saves that movie because I think Justin Wong is a great actor. Um, and Justin Long, in my opinion, really does. I know he's in like a lot of like dopey comedies and stuff, but he really is like a phenomenal. No, he's got chops actor, for sure. Yeah, and and so I think that him being in in this sidekick role, one, it works for the plot because they, but the, but they dumb Bruce Willis's character. I mean, we talked about this. Like in the first two movies, he's you know he's a character he's a well-written character and then by by this movie he's just uh i shoot things and and he's it becomes that superhuman cop that super cop like badass guy which was never what he was um which sucks in my opinion no, so I so i think that pairing him with justin long justin long kind of saved this movie and made it watchable um in my opinion also it had my boy kevin smith in there, which it was does. which was yeah. nice, and like I, a fully decked out Star Wars room, which was cool. It's not really Kevin Smith's fault, but I thought that that scene dragged a little bit. It's they just go to Kevin Smith, and it's just uh, it had okay. it had some weird. So that that scene, like the one of the first scenes that I noticed, and they do this all throughout Live Free or Die Hard, and then it's also all throughout A Good Day to Die Hard. But um, it's like the editing is terrible like the editing between shots it had like like it was while kevin smith was talking about something and they're walking towards his like computer setup and and while they're walking it cuts between like all of their faces like five different times in like three seconds and it was like i was like holy shit what is with this (laughs) editing like why like why did we need to see all of their faces for half a second like right in it in and then i started noticing that happening a lot in like scenes they're just like we're just gonna cut 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 to like show you these different things and it didn't spend a lot of time so like in a in a artistic stylistic kind of way and i hated it yeah like, and like, that's an i feel like that's sort of an action movie thing these days is this very fast editing very quick cuts and so your brain doesn't really have enough time to look at a scene and say like this is kind of stupid. Yeah, but but it, but I think it can work in an action sequence. Right. But in like a, we're just talking in yeah, a room. Completely bizarre. And like yeah. like it's it it was so out of place, and it was just like Jesus Christ. Like I don't know who, I don't know who edited this movie, and then like was like this is nailed that this yeah, is cool. like like yeah. we got it we we it's it's so bad it's so bad and I, and it made me wonder if like i just missed it in the first couple of movies i'm not going to go rewatch all of them yeah. again to find out but um but it was it was very noticeable and, sh- and like off putting um another thing that was off putting jacob um and i believe it's time to talk about the beginning of die hard 3 in the introduction of samuel L. jackson okay so, Samuel L. Jackson is, or introduction of him into the plot. The way that they decide it's a good idea to introduce him into the plot was, you know, you have Simon Gruber, uh, 
making John McClane, like basically putting John McClane through a series of tests and games, if you will, because um, he just wants to fuck with him. Uh, and also it takes time it, and energy so that he can eventually get money, which is the boring part. <laughs> but uh, but he the first thing he does is he they call him and he's like, it has to be him because I guess he was suspended for something. I don't really talk about that uh, a whole lot. But so they, but he makes him wear a sign in the middle of Harlem that says, I hate the N-word. And, and the, I guess it's supposed to be funny. Like, I don't I mean, know. I, I think like, the point is that he's supposed to get jumped. Right. Well, yeah. And, and that's the, and yeah, so, so the, so he goes there, but like, but it's, I mean, I know that it's, he's supposed to get jumped, but like, in what, like, in what way do you do that? I mean, you don't do it. You just yeah. you shouldn't do it. But but so basically, Sam, the whole point of that is just so that Samuel L. Jackson can come in and stop him from getting beat up by a bunch of black teenagers, and uh, and then that's how they kind of rope him into the story. And so so there's that, and then the the sort of overarching theme of Samuel L. Jackson's character is that he is sort of the the black working class guy to McLean's white working class guy and throughout the the movie you get you don't really get a discussion of it but you get little quips like oh why do you think I can hotwire a car because I'm black or like why do you think that I can do this because I'm black oh I'm black and you're mad at me or you know and he's saying like oh I don't trust the police so I'm you know and he's making these points about you know being black again it's not really much of a discussion and it's mostly just these little lines and all that culminates in this scene where John McClane is like, you're a racist. Yeah. You're a racist to me. Like, you're always playing the race card. And, like, that is racist to me as a white guy. And it's like this very, like, myopic and kind of ignorant view of race in America. And it's like the, the notion that, like, you would like get mad at a black guy for like maybe being skeptical of the police like it's, is really distasteful i uh, yeah i th- and it's and and i think that the point of it i don't agree with this i would like to say i do not agree with this point but i believe what he was trying to do is show like we can all work together right. see like, they're working together yeah. but it's like systemically this this yeah. country is so skewed against minorities really of all kind we're in in poor just poor people poor and minorities like and it's it's that's not that's not how that works you I can't think just do that yes i think there's this implication that like john mcclain doesn't see color he never talks about race he never brings it up right and except all the time in this movie yes but <laughs> but the point is that like if more people behaved like that then we'd be fine. Right. And, like, the issue is that you have white racists, which John McClane's not, because he doesn't see color. And and that's the way that we should be. And that Samuel L. Jackson is sort of this equal but opposite version of the white racist, who is not personified by John McClane. And, like, if Samuel L. Jackson came to the center and the white racist came to the center, like you said, then we could achieve this sort of harmony. And, and that's just, like, such a... It's he, such a... And, and it's such a weird thing to even say, especially given, like, this is, like, just after Rodney King. and Rodney like, King, in like, fact, makes an appearance in this movie. Yeah. There's, a line, there's a line of dialogue that references Rodney King. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's so wild. Like and that. It, doesn't, it doesn't really land, and it doesn't... It's like 
they it, it happens frequently enough that you feel like the movie's trying to say something about it, but it, it doesn't really return to that. Yeah, no, it, it's it, it's very weird. I, I think it's supposed to end with that like I'm like you're a racist scene, but like like I think that's where it's supposed to just kind of be but, like yeah. see like look like it's on both sides like right. which is such a stupid fucking thing to say. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's but the main my main issue with this whole thing aside from well I guess it's not my main issue my main issue is that it's in the movie to begin with right. but like the idea that like how do we introduce this like how do we yeah. do this and to do that with a like like how do we introduce Samuel L. Jackson into the plot is really what it is like you could do it a number of ways and right, they he could have just, just been out of the bus stop or something exactly yeah, yeah. And, and they chose to do it with wearing this I hate the n-word yeah. sign scene and then like him have to stop people from killing like, it's just like it's just so stupid it's yeah. like you could have done that nine million other ways and it would have been fine and it would have worked and it would have yeah. been you know he could have been fucking I don't know any you could do a number of just general racist stereotypes that you know is clearly not anything that they're beyond doing yeah. <laughs> or or you could just do it in a fun way um it's 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 gross it's gross and then but but so that that really took away from that movie for me like i really couldn't enjoy it i think for because of that cuz i was just like it just does it just is so off-putting and the, and i get like when i get like a bad taste in my mouth it's kind of hard to like overcome that yeah sure. and so so then i was like well what is it what is this trying to say and then with the whole like twists of like oh actually these bombs aren't real bombs like under the school thing and like it's all just like some kind, it, it's all just a big game like i like the idea of the game but it's it just got annoyed i was just annoyed yeah i think that's fair Die Hard 2, best deaths in all of them. Okay. It had the best, num like, all of the coolest explosions, the uh, uh, best group of deaths. So, the, 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 the big climax of Die Hard 2 is that it looks like the plane is going to get away. And you have John McClane on the wing of the plane, and he unhooks the fuel dump, which I didn't... I, it's, it seems like, you know, those, like, self-destruct buttons in cartoons, and the gag yeah. is always like, why did you put that there? This is, it seems similar to me, and so I thought watching this. Oh well, he's gonna. They're not gonna have enough fuel, and they're gonna have to land somewhere, and then they're gonna get him. But what what happens is it leaves this ring or this like trail of fuel which he lights, and then it causes the, you know he it's like a big fire trail that leads all the way up to the plane, and it causes the plane to burst into flames and kill everyone on board. It was so cool, pretty banging. I, I thought that was pretty sweet. It, it had it had I mean just like like really just like big explosions don't do it for me like i just don't think that's cool but this one had so many yeah. really cool ones like that was cool the when they throw all the bomb the grenades into the pilot chair oh, or yeah, the pilot yeah. of the cockpit and he has to do the eject seat while like while the thing's exploding and he's ejecting up into there that was badass um and then when just the first plane landed that was the uh, okay so that was the other thing that I thought was really cool about um, Die Hard 2 was, like, before you really know everything that's going on, right, and you see that they just shut down the airport, and so now all these planes can't land. 
and 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 for me i was hoping i was like oh okay they're just like a terrorist group that just like wants to fuck with people like how can we do that well we turn off the ever we take you out of the equation you can't control anything they can't see anything and now all these planes are going to eventually crash and burn and like while I don't want that to happen to humans, I thought that was really badass. Like, and and especially when they did like the "we'll change the altitude" thing, right. so that when the plane, it d- it thinks it's so it's many things that has like two hundred meters yeah. or whatever left before it hits the ground, and then it hits the ground. So there is, a, but that explosion was really cool. Was where thing, I was going with that. Yeah, the, I I think that like, if you explode a plane. It, like, does this thing. I don't know. It, like, crumples up in this crazy way, and it just, like, looks sick as hell. Like, I think that if you just, like, if you go into a field and you set off a bomb, it's like, well, there you go. That's big fire, and that's cool. But, like, if you put the bomb inside of something, it, like, I don't know. It's, it's like you said, it's cool. And then the, the plane explodes, and, it like you said, it looks sick as hell. <laughs> yeah. There's, like, nothing to it. It's just, like, it's just like a plane that explodes, but, like, it's it's extremely dope. And, and, and also that was at the time that, like, John McClane really isn't getting much help from anybody, and he's, like, runs out and tries to, like, light these things on fire to, like, be, a, like, a air traffic director and, like, try to guide the plane in, but the plane can't see because it's, you know, snowy and whatever because... Um, so you know, it it ended up he d- it didn't work, but that was I, that was a great moment for me. I was yeah. like, "Fuck, that was really cool." And like the, it's it's like the the hero didn't get what he wanted. He didn't save the day. He he's lost. And like here again is John McClane needing to find a way to figure it out. And that's where I think the series is it's at its best. Yeah. And it, that's also the last time that happened. Yeah. For the rest of the movies. Um, yeah. What you got? Any- so. One last thing, I think... Well, I don't know, last, whatever. One other thing that I had thought was kind of interesting is that in as a secondary plot point in almost every movie, we see John McClane's family in some capacity. Yeah. Um, and we are trending towards, with these last two movies, the family coming to the front. In Die Hard 4... John McClane's daughter gets taken hostage, and there's really no reason for it other than to just sort of raise the stakes. Um, but and she doesn't really figure into the plot at all other than just to be a victim of being a hostage. And also at the very beginning, there's a very, like, Bruce Willis... Real, well, I guess technically it was the opposite way around, but he was really giving off Mark Wahlberg and Transformers vibes. Like, I'm not going like, to let you date my daughter. Yeah. And they get like, it at the end, too, with Justin Long. Yep. Yes. Yep. But yes, and so, and then you get, and his daughter is played by, what's her name from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Oh, oh my god, it's, um, man, it's escaping me. Anyway, so she comes back in Die Hard with, what was that? Live Free or Die Hard. And then we also see his brother, or her brother, his son, it figures very prominently into the plot, and so, um... That seems to be a trend, and I would not be... Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yes. That seems to be a place that we're going. Is his family, and to be perfectly frank with you, I don't think it really works. It's mostly unexplored. 
there's he's it's implied that he's like a worthless deadbeat dad but it's never really shown in Die Hard 3 he's meant to be this alcoholic but again they just say you're an alcoholic it, it, so you don't you don't really get this thing of him as this worthless kind of bad parent who's not very present right and also on that subject I kind of want to talk about this so like in Die Hard 1 he's a New York cop his wife took a new job in LA he, the story takes place in LA and so he's not part of the LAPD he's New York PD um, and then in the second one, it takes place in the Washington D.C. airport. They're visiting his like his mother-in-law's place, and but but he's now transitioned to the LAPD. He lives in Los Angeles. He moved there, and then from Die Hard Three, he's back. He, he's in the NYPD again. It takes place in New York, but it doesn't talk really at all about why he went back or whatever and they it's and and then with four and five it's like implied like you said that he's like this deadbeat but like it doesn't it doesn't work like that whole subplot doesn't work at all because they spend no time developing it and they just spent say these things and i guess in four he's a detective i guess with the new york police department and then the fifth one i don't even know what he is he kept saying he said so many times he's like i'm on a vacation which is just not true yeah, I was at like, no I was point like, was that ever true yeah. i don't know why he kept saying that i thought that was so odd like you said he says it like six times it's yeah. so strange it's, and it makes no sense because you're not on yeah. a vacation like like you explicitly to go help your son with his legal problem yeah this wasn't like a <laughs> yeah oh Oh my god, also, but Die Hard 5 did have, like, one of the my favorite scenes, like, uh, to laugh at in this whole franchise. It was when he, you know, is, he steals the car and he crashes it, or whatever, and he, uh, he's on the highway, and he can't, he's, like, trying to, like, commandeer somebody's vehicle, and nobody will stop for him, and eventually he, like... This he I think he gets hit. Yeah, he and gets then, run over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then this guy gets out of his car and he's yelling at him in Russian, you know, because they're in Russia. And he goes, "Do you think I understand what you're saying?" <laughs> and then punches him in the face and then steals his car. <laughs> like, it's like, of course he would expect. Like, you why? To be, why like, would that? Yeah, like he's like, why are you mad at me when I jumped in front of your car on the freeway <laughs> and then I punched you in the head for not speaking English in Russia and stole your car? Why and you're upset, asshole? Yeah, you know, it's that like shit, <laughs> the shit was so fucking dumb, but it was so funny. I yeah. couldn't stop laughing. And then also there was another scene. I I literally paused the movie at that point and laughed, and then went and told my girlfriend. I was like, "You will not believe what just happened." <laughs> but but there's another scene that it was I guess meant to be some kind of gag, but in the courtroom scene after you know they. they when when uh Jack McLean, his son, is on trial, they like the terrorist group uh, blows up the the courthouse and like he escapes with the other guy. And then when like they go in, I guess to try to get the other guy and realize that he didn't that he escaped, uh, the one guy shoots this guy who's still alive in the courthouse, shoots him and kills him, and then shoots him a couple more times. And then later. The girl comes in, and then she also shoots that dead body a couple of times. I was just like, good measure, yeah. Yeah. Look, I was like, take no chances. But it's been like that's what that's. I think that's kind of a perfect summary of this movie, though. Is it like they're like we're just going to do something that we think is cool or funny, but we won't talk about it at all, and we won't like 
do anything about it. Like you just you have to catch it and this see mo- if you these think movies it's good. have this one has the worst quips. His little badass one liners are really pretty lackluster. Yeah. In this one. Yeah, it's it's all I I it sucks that they're making a sixth one at some point. Hopefully they just can it. But I mean, maybe they'll do a prequel. I think that unfortunately, I think one of the things that's paradoxical about these movies is that as Bruce Willis's power level increases, he's he gets older, and so now you get superhero Bruce Willis doing things that thirty-year-old Bruce Willis could never do. But he's like seventy, so it's like it's very sort of surreal to watch. So maybe they'll do a prequel. You get rid of Bruce Willis, and you can have John McClane without Bruce Willis. John McClane is... I mean, they just ruined his character. That's just all that happened. Like, the last three movies, I just wish they didn't happen because they destroy his character. And then it's like they started doing that in three, and, you know, they introduced the sidekick thing. Um, But also what they introduce is they take away the one on... Like, I mean, we talked about it. They take away the one on however many, like, like one against the group right um and they make it it's like a team thing and then it and then it plays several times throughout die hard 3 i was like this is like a fast and the furious movie and i understand this preceded fast and the furious but it's like it all became about car chases like it the whole the thing like of like instead of one guy shooting up a bunch of people and trying to like do something it became a car chase thing and then every movie had just so many car chases and i was like okay like this this isn't what I thought it was like. This isn't what you started out with, and I don't know why you changed it, especially because it changed with the original director. And I'm like, yeah. well, that you wouldn't expect that to be the one that completely changes the because the, the idea. What the first two movies really are is heist movies. Yeah, they're heist movies where you see the heist, but instead of the, you wanting the heist to happen, you want it to not happen. You right. see it from the other point of view like Ocean's Eleven from the, the police's point of view. Exactly. But but they're heist movies. And and like you said, and then you get action sequences, gunfights, and explosions, but it's still all about this sort of 12D chess game where you're trying to achieve this goal and you're trying to stop them from achieving their goal as opposed to where, you're like you said, you're flying around the city, running people over, and, you know, and, and it's more of a traditional action movie that we would be used to now. Yeah, I I don't know if you've thought about this, but I have a question for you. Let's hear it. Um, what would you say is your favorite death in all of it? So like like we talked about, there's lots of cool explosions, but like there's also a lot of cool deaths. Like, what Here, would you do? You have a favorite? death? So here's the thing. Number one is going to be Hans Gruber falling off of the building. But That's fair. here's number two. There is a scene in Die Hard Three where they're on a boat and. So John McClane and Samuel L. Jackson are on a bridge, and Simon Gruber's on a boat down below, and they hook their wench up to, like, the crow's nest of the boat, and they have to shimmy down onto the boat. And what happens is they get too much tension on the wire, and it breaks, and the wire swings down and chops a henchman in half. (laughs) And I thought that was brutal as hell. And it only shows it for a split second, but you can very clearly see him, like, cleanly severed <laughs> top from the bottom at the waist. I thought that was really sick. <laughs> that that is that is a good one. My favorite though, I think has to be uh in Die Hard 2 where it's it's when the, when John McClane and the SWAT team go to well, it's really the SWAT team and the John McClane shows up later, I think. But uh they fight the two henchmen 
in that one wing of the airport mm. and like they're pretending to be maintenance guys and they kill the entire SWAT team which I don't think would happen right I Pro- think probably it, like <laughs> I don't know they both they all have semi-automatic weapons so I don't know how the SWAT team was so unprepared for an ambush two in guys a, in a heist like terrorist situation like yeah. you know they were just but regardless John McClane comes and he ends up killing the two guys but the way he kills the second guy he's on the ground and they're shooting at each other through the top of like this kind of like shelf thing I don't really know how to describe it but it like a you know it's like a like it looks like wooden scaffolding scaffolding but like, yeah um but basically John shoots the guy off the guy falls down or, or he he tips the he tips the it over so the guy would fall down and then he throws it on him yeah <laughs> well, like and then it just like it just smack yeah. and like squishes him and I thought that was really badass um, but the Hans Gruber I mean the Hans Gruber one is is I mean I think that's the most tastefully done one for sure so there's an important question okay. I have for you let's hear it do you think these are Christmas movies. No, these aren't Christmas movies. Um, I think that that's blasphemy. A a Christmas movie is about Christmas. It's not enough to have the setting be Christmas. The f- the second one gives you snow. The first one doesn't even give you snow. Um, but that's a, it's it in has L.A. A handful, it doesn't snow in L.A. It has a handful of Christmas references. It's not enough. It's an action movie, and if you want to watch it on Christmas, this is the United States of America, and you can do anything you like. <laughs> this is not a Christmas movie. It doesn't count. I, I disagree strongly. It had it had lots of Christmas music throughout it. Lots is an overstatement. It's <laughs> if unless you count the Ode to Joy as a, which by the I way do. I do super cool thing. They do this the the score here returns to the Ode to Joy. They do this sort of variation on the Ode to Joy over and over and over again. Very cool. I liked that a lot. I, I will say the particularly the first one. not enough to be a Christmas movie that's not a real Christmas song it doesn't count not yeah. a Christmas movie that is a fact this is definitive this is true we're not done okay what were you saying about the <laughs> it is a Christmas song it is a Christmas movie I think that the setting is enough to make it especially if you're gonna reference it several times throughout now the third one though um, now I'm going back on whatever I was gonna say before but the third one has a a line that I genuinely don't think it makes any sense the fourth and fifth ones are obviously not Christmas movies and they're not set at Christmas time or anything or if they are they don't mention it but in the third one they're in New York it's sunny out people are wearing shorts I mean like it's like I think it might even be baseball season you know but like you know it's like not I don't think it's Christmas season, um, but there's a kid who says, it's Christmas. You can steal the city hall. Like, and he says that randomly. And I'm like, is that what? what I did, think did, my, I think that like what it was meant to be is that like city hall is a present. Like it's Christmas for a thief. Yeah. that's. So I, th- I think that's what that was supposed to mean. But it's a really dumb. It doesn't really like, make sense. Like it, no, you're, it, you're correct. Yeah. But it's but, kind of a stupid line. But where I was going with all of this before when talking about the Ode to Joy, the score for the first movie is so great. It really it's is really good. Phenomenal. And I think the second one's good too, but uh, it does kind of drop off. Like they, they just, just like becomes it's generic. It's fine, yeah. Just yeah, like whatever. generic. But I like that it's, you know, it's like generic, but in like the cinematic, or not cinematic, uh, like like in a, in a John Williams kind of way. Like right, it's right. not like... Uh, Fast and the Furious, where they're like, okay, now like metal guitar or, or like rap which, music, yeah, right. which which they could do 
they could have easily done for 2007 and 2013, and I'm glad that they never transitioned to that. You do get that CCR song. Yeah, but that's like that's like they. I mean, they have that. They made some references to like music within the yeah. show, but like or the movie. But uh, but yeah, but overall, I think the scores or the score for the first one is absolutely phenomenal. I agree. Jacob, do you have any final thoughts on the Die Hard franchise? Um, you know, I think, like I said, I, I think that these are so popular because I think that, you know, your average white working class American sees himself in John McClane and sees the ways in which these various forces bring him down. The media and the government, you know, everyone's out to get him and he's just got to do it his dang self, even though, you know, all of these things are caving in around him. And he always wins, and you know, and I think that that's why you see these gross b- make a bunch of money. They're popular, you know, um, and uh, every indication is that they'll continue to keep making them. How would you rank them, like in order of best to worst? I think it's just in order. I think uh, each one gets subsequently a little bit worse, with one being the best, five being the worst. Interesting. I I. I agree, kind of. I think it goes one, two, four, three, five. I think. Okay. I think, but but that's it's tricky. That I just wish that four had three's villain. That's really I guess okay, what it sure. was like. I think that the 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 idea. I don't know. I think four was better than three, but really, I think you don't need to watch any of them except for the first two. That's my personal opinion. I think that I could do without seeing. Three, four, and five forever. I'll probably watch one and two over. Well, I'll definitely see Die Hard again. Yeah, but Die Hard two, I would probably watch. Um, overall rating, what would you give it? We'll say we'll say a seven. It's got so Die Hard. I think is perhaps the best action movie ever made. I th- I think it's perfect in every way, and I think it is in that conversation all time classic. And then every movie is watchable, other than five, which is horrifying. So I'm going to say a seven. <laughs> okay, I, I'll agree that it's a seven. Okay. I do think it's seven. I like Die Hard 2, I think, a little bit more than you did. Um, I did like Die Hard 3 and 4 a little bit less than you did, and then we were in agreement on Die Hard 5. And I also believe Die Hard is a perfect, is a perfect movie. Um, it took me a little bit to, like, admit that to myself, because, like, I have some, like, you know cinephile elitism against no, like yeah, action movies I, I so like it, it yeah. i think i on letterbox i originally rated it a nine and then i was like it's it's a per- it is that perfect thing. it is perfect. i was watching it i was smiling the whole time i was like yeah. this banks i love this movie oh, i was yeah. just sitting there in my bed by myself with a big ass grin on my <laughs> face watching this guy blast germans in the head i was yeah. like this movie is so sick yeah but i i also give it a seven i also give it a seven so now we've had I think we're in agreement on this. Um, we've watched some perfect movies, okay. right? Like, so I think we're in agreement that this is a perfect movie. I think we're in agreement that Alien is a perfect movie. I think we're in agreement that Jurassic Park is a perfect movie. Batman, I don't think, has any perfect movies in the one that we watched. Um, I personally think Raiders is a perfect movie. I don't know where you stand on that. It doesn't quite get there for me. Okay. okay. I think that it is excellent and I really like it, but it is not it is to me it is a tier below. Right. And then what am I missing? Oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
I didn't think that was a perfect I wouldn't movie, call that perfect but, either. Um, certainly not the franchise. Yeah, no, um, the first one. Sure. And then clearly Transformers 2 was perfect. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, a masterpiece. But so of those three movies, of, of Alien, Jurassic Park, and, uh, and Die Hard, what do you think is the best movie of those three? I think Alien. Okay. I think Alien edges it out a little bit. Alien to me is a little more artistically ambitious. You get a little bit more sort of like real technical filmmaking that I think is really successful and really pays off that you don't really see attempted. Yeah. And I think that when you get that, that level of ambition and that level of execution, I think that that is something I really appreciate. So I, I, I think that to me it's alien, but it's just by a hair. And I, I love uh, Jurassic Park and Die Hard also. Would you put Die Hard above Jurassic Park? They're tied for me, which is a cop-out answer. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Gun to your head. you got to pick one. I think gun to my head it's barely Jurassic Park. Okay. Barely. Okay. And, and, but the thing is, I grew up on Jurassic Park, oh, yeah, so yeah. maybe there's some nostalgia there. It's possible that 30 years from now, 10, 20 viewings of Die Hard from now, maybe it'll edge out Jurassic Park. Fair enough. I, uh, uh, so we have the, so I would go Alien. I think Alien is the best movie we've watched. I, so, I mean, we're in a disagreement about Raiders and Back to the Future because I think that those are perfect movies, and I do think Back to the Future might be my favorite. Okay. But, but... Let's let's start keeping a list. When we have a, a a movie that we think is perfect, we'll add it to our our co our shared perfect movies list. So right now we have Alien number one. I would put Die Hard number two, and then three Jurassic Park. Okay. But um, but also it's because I think it's a better movie, and it took me it took me I had to admit that to like my innermost self. No, I get like that, yeah. Jurassic Park is there with some nostalgia. But but I think that I think when I really think about it, it's uh, it's Die Hard. It's Die Hard. But so those are our perfect movies, perfect movie list. New segment we'll start doing. Okay. Um, starting with the next franchise, do you know? Remember what we were doing? Uh, Home Alone, I believe. We are doing Home Alone. I don't think that will make the cut. Probably not. Won't make the perfect movie list. But we will have our first guest on the show. Uh, former U.S. President Barack Obama is going yes. to join us to talk about Home Alone. Because <laughs> um, one time he was left uh, at home, yes. um, his parents went on a vacation without him, and uh, that it, that was the when he decided he wanted to be the president. Yes, he said, "From now on, I'm dedicating my life work to becoming the president," uh, because my parents left me in Chicago, and he was bummed about it. Or I guess Hawaii. He grew up in Hawaii, right? I don't know where he grew up. Oh, I th- Kenya. I <laughs> no. Um, it, on the but su- he uh, he texted me. He's like, Jacob, I love the podcast. It's great. You gotta let me on. And uh, I was like, All right, okay, Barack, we'll do that. But for real, um, it will be our our f- good friend Matt Morales, who you don't know because this we're not famous. But, but Matt is a bona fide movie expert. He has multiple college degrees in films, so he will lend an air of credibility to our dumbasses who just don't have any idea what's going on. Actually, Jack knows me more than me. I'm I'm really just sort of babbling about nothing, uh, you know. So so he will uh, he'll. 
elevate the intellectual level of the podcast, I think. How many of the Home Alone movies have you seen? All of them, but... Are we going to watch Home Alone 4, the direct-to-VHS one? Yeah, we're doing okay. all... Oh, there's five of them, buddy. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> I've seen the first three. <laughs> okay, okay, so I've never I've never seen three. I've only seen the first two, and it's been a long time. Oh, for sure. I, 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 it's, I haven't seen yeah. these in a very long time. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Matt has said he will be the staunch defender of Home Alone 3. Okay. So, so I, I remembered liking it as a kid. It's so so we'll so I'm excited I'm excited to watch these uh, with you guys um, and I'm excited to have have a real cinephile expert come on the show. And I'm excited to watch a real Christmas movie. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know if they're all Christmas movies the first. They are. All okay. five of them. Okay. There's the the fifth one has the best name though. Home Alone 5 The Holiday Heist. Wow. Okay. Yes. So another heist uh, another Christmas heist movie. Wow. Our second <laughs> one. <laughs> um so yeah, so you know, that's that's all I guess we have to say. Um thank you guys for listening so much and if you watched the first Die Hard, um Good on you. If you watched all of them, I'm sorry. Well, you know, I'll I'll never apologize for anything. <laughs> you know, if you watched it, that was a you learned something. You like I said with Transformers, every movie is an opportunity, even if it's a bad movie, to to glean. You can look into the eye of the movie business or of the American cinema goer, and you can discern something. You can learn about these things you know these secrets they don't want you to know so that's what i'm saying there you go if you watched it now you understand although neither of us understand what happened in die hard 5 so if you understood that good on you because i got lost you can you can actually if you understood it you can write us at franchisefilmfreaks at gmail.com and tell us what we missed out on just explain the plot (laughs) (laughs) Well, you heard it from the wise man himself, wise man Jacob. I'm Jack, and we're signing out. Thank you.